0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal i saw from them was the science fair which is a parallel classic drive and distortion and now they've released a new parallel concept called the class reunion the class reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their trash panda which is like a soft clipping high gain amp in a box style circuit and it is a super super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options parallel blending It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to SummerschoolElectronics.com, that's SummerschoolElectronics.com, and check them out today. Hey, 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 what is going on, everyone? We're here, we're here with a fresh show for you today, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. But, before we get into that, I want to tell you about a couple things. One of the things I want to tell you about is Sinusoid. Sinusoid instrument cables. They've been supporting this show for years. They're just a fantastic bunch of dudes making some fantastic products. Not the least of which is their Sasquatch speaker cable. Uh, It's a big, formidable, heavy-duty beast that is appropriately sized to handle the current from your amplifier to your speaker. It's nice and big, it really feels like you got something substantial in your hand when you're handling this thing, and it's also just cool. Like It's like, man, look at that beast. You look at it, and some things are just cool. The Sasquatch speaker cable definitely fits into that category of being cool. Plus, it's got a 100-year warranty, so you can't argue with that. Go to sinusoid.com, pick one up for your amplified needs today, and know that in doing so, you're helping keep this pirate ship afloat. So yes, make sure you go to sinusoid.com. Check them out. This show is also brought to you by the wonderful people over at Gun Street Wiring Shop. You've got an old Les Paul knocking around. It's got some scratchy pots. It's got some intermittent connections. It's got some weird nastiness going on in the electronics department. Gun Street Wiring Shop can clean all that up for you. Gun Street Wiring Shop makes custom wiring harnesses for whatever kind of guitar you have. They just made one for a dinky the other day. First first time in, in four years so that they've been in business, they made a dinky harness. So they can do whatever you need. So just go to Gun Street Wiring Shop, check them out. If you don't see exactly what you need on the website, don't hesitate to hit up Sean for any crazy phase-inverting, whatever kind of crazy harness desires you have. He can make it happen. That's what they're all about is uh, supporting the community and giving the people what they want. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out and put a smile on that face of yours. Sounded like the Joker there. That was kind of creepy. You know what I mean. This episode is also brought to you by the fine folks over at Creation Music Company. Creation Music Company, I talked about their amps last week. I still stand by it. Their amps are phenomenal, and you should definitely go check one out. But they also are mostly known for their pedal boards. We all love pedals. You know me. I'm obsessed with pedals, and it's just it's one of the great joys in life our guitar pedals, and they make the board that you need to put them on. John's came on a couple times throughout the years. If you want to know more about how they got their start, go back and listen to the first uh, couple Creation Music Company episodes. They're they're really good. But also, they make great products. They really do. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. They they make great products, have great customer support, and their pedal boards are truly innovative in that space. So make sure you go check them out today at creationmusiccompany.com and upgrade your pedalboard situation. Yeah. And last thing before we get into today's episode of the podcast, don't forget that you can always support the show by going to tonemob.com reverb to do any of your reverb.com purchasing. So if you go there, go to tonemob.com slash reverb, type that in. whoop, Nice and easy. It will take you to the reverb.com that you know and love. It shouldn't look any different. Everything should be all the same. You do your buy-in, your selling, whatever you're going to do on Reverb through that link, and it helps push a little bit back to this show and keep things going. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and you're going to be on there buying and selling gear anyway, so you might as well use tonemob.com slash reverb for all of that and help put some wind in the sails of this pirate ship. That that uh, That's what we desperately need around here. So uh, we've just about, actually I think, I need to double check, but as of last month, I believe we covered our server costs for the year. So thank you so much to everyone who has used that link and helped uh, keep this thing going. Now at least it doesn't cost money, so that's good, right? Uh, And anything extra will just help me provide more content for you guys and get more guests on and do more Tone Mobbery just all around. So if you use ToneMob.com slash Reverb for all that, that would help out immensely. And thank you to everyone who does that and a lot of you seem to do that on a regular basis. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. With that said, we'll get into today's show with Alex from Xander Circuitry. I think you guys are going to like this a lot. So we'll jump right into it. Let's go. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast. I'm your hope, hope? I hope you're not, I hope you're not hoping that I'm your hope, that would be bad. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today I have Alex Miller from Xander Circuitry. What's happening, man? Hello, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Just uh, doing what I love and loving what I do. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, no, Just going. everything's uh, Everything's good. Yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, pushing, pushing along. <laughs>
0: <laughs> doing the best that we doing the best that we can, right? Yeah, every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, how are things in your neck of the woods? Is the weather good? Everything great?
1: Yeah, we've been. Um, we've had a we've just had our um our uh, our four day weekend over here in England. Um, it's been really nice. So we get we get the Friday and the Monday off, which has been um been pretty good. It, it fell quite late this year, and we managed to have rarely four days of um of really good sunshine and hot weather. So it was quite nice.
0: That's not, that's not bad at all. What part yes. of the UK are you in?
1: Uh, so I am in Essex, which is just kind of south of, uh, of London. Cool.
0: Cool. You like it? You like that uh, that part of the country?
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I don't really get to travel around too much. Um, we've been able to do a little bit more since we've been doing. We do a lot of guitar shows and stuff over here, which has been quite nice. So I get to see little parts of the country up north and stuff that I don't normally go to. But but yeah, I've I've lived in this part of the country my my entire life, so I don't really know any different. But um, we managed to uh, a lot of the time. We managed to catch some of the the better weather that um, that Britain doesn't normally get. So it's it's fairly lucky. <laughs>
0: That is a that is a good thing to hear. It's you normally just hear. Well, you know, it's foggy and misty. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, Most and ninety percent of the time it is, but we seem to get that little bit more than everyone else. So it's always good.
0: Nice, very, very nice. Well, I'd like to jump right into it here because I don't. I am familiar with the company. I've seen you guys around, but I don't know anything about the backstory or how it came to be, or or what the situation is over there. So maybe start from. When you were a wee lad, and, uh, <laughs> and you can you can enlighten us on on how you came to be in the position you're in currently.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so I think um, it, I, I mean I've been playing guitar since I was probably ten, maybe. Um, I am um, left-handed. My 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 dad bought me my first guitar. Um, it was just a cheap like, black strat copy. I think probably like everyone starts with like an Aria or a Stag or something something like that um and that's kind of how I got into into playing guitar and didn't really I kind of dipped in and out of it until I was maybe 18 or 19 I'm, I'm 25 now um so I've kind of picked it up kind of seriously for you know the last six or seven years um and I think being restricted in you know the kind of the kind of guitars I could buy and the things I could play kind of obviously from being left hand you know you walk into any music shop and is there's you know if there's 300 guitars 298 of them are right-handed and then there's a maybe a black strat and a and a butterscotch telly in left-handed and that's (laughs) that's kind of they're the only choices that that i used to get so my um it kind of kicked a bit of a diy thing into me so i used to start build i really loved offsets um like jazz masters and jaguars um but they just weren't really available and they weren't really in my Price range because the only ones at the time that were available were you know like the uh, Japanese fenders and um the Kurt Cobain model um and both those you know being uh, uh, you know in in college at the time couldn't afford anything near that kind of money so it kind of led me to start building parts guitars um just out of you know I'd, I'd either buy you know body blanks or and just buy necks off of ebay and stuff like that and learn how to you know solder some pots or some pickups um and that that kind of then eventually led into me becoming interested in building effects so i'd, I'd buy you know diy kits um or i just look up like tag board layouts and stuff like that and start building basic boosts and fuzzes. um i used to just sell them on facebook just through facebook groups and it was actually my um fiance now or girlfriend at the time but fiance now um that kind of said you, know, you should start putting a putting a name to what you're doing and start kind of branding it out because i'm by trade i'm a graphic designer I'm, i work full-time as a graphic designer still and um, so it was quite nice for me to have a you know it was a nice little project for me to work on some you know branding for myself and build a little a little brand around what i was doing and then it just kind of snowballed i set up a website um set up a reverb page um started selling if you again a few more bits on an ebay on ebay and stuff like that um and it just kind of snowballed into what it is today and i've just kind of you know taken it slowly and day by day and week by week and it's just kind of gradually built up and it seems to hopefully continue to be continuing to be
0: so what are some of the early like circuits that you started off? You don't generally just hop from uh, assembling parts guitars to uh, having a line of pedals. Where was what was the evolution of that?
1: Um, so I think the first DIY kit I bought was a clone of a electroharmonics uh, LPB1, just the you know like the single knob boost. And it's, it's got about I don't know probably 10 parts including the, you know, you know, I think it's got like two resistors and a couple of caps and a transistor. Um, took me hours and hours to solder it. And it was an absolute pig when I'd finished. It looked horrific. Um, it didn't always work. Um, but, you know, after, you know, jiggling around, you know, kind of hacking it together, actually plugging something in and, and having it change the sound of my guitar, even if it was just in volume, um, and knowing that it had been something that I had done was kind of really gratifying and amazing to me. So that's that's kind of where I guess it kind of sparked a more of a oh well if I can do this then maybe I can you know I'll, I'll work at getting better at doing things like this and then eventually I just kind of learnt by doing. So that that would kind of lead on to me mucking around with. Um, circuits like the fuzz factory which again is a fairly simple circuit and that's kind of what inspired one of our first pedals that i was even kind of making before zander started which is the cyclone fuzz um that kind of stemmed from me just mucking about with a fuzz factory circuit and just basically completely tearing of building one and then piece by piece taking the parts off of the circuit and replacing them and seeing how they worked or attaching pots where resistors were and seeing what would happen if i've you know varied the resistance of one of the resistors and um it basically just you know make it oscillate or you get a weird sub octave or things that start to get glitchy and noisy um and it was just kind of that's kind of how i learned to do parts of circuit design was just basically by making a load of mistakes and just running wires to different parts of the circuit and seeing what happens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be a, like a little bit more of the circuit bending route than necessarily the, uh, numbers and engineering route. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I guess partly because of what I do for a day job is fairly creative. I think part of, I think even though I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, Pretty good with numbers and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't necessarily interest. It doesn't really keep my interest. I'm more into just being quite hands on and doing things and just basically just seeing what happens. And if it if it works, it works because I think some of the best sounds that I've got from some circuits are from when they're technically being broken. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like a, a thing that I, I used to talk about a little bit more in the early days of the podcast. Is I remember reading something somewhere where uh, like an engineering student brought in a a a death by audio product. I can't remember what it was, if it was the fuzz war or if it was something like that, one of their big gnarly beasts that they make. And he brought it in either brought the circuit in or something. And his his professor was like, well, that's stupid. They got the transistors in backwards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and it's like yeah but it sounds good though that's the that's the thing that's that's what we're shooting for yeah
1: exactly and i think i think some sometimes i mean i know knowing knowing all the theory and stuff is is great but i think sometimes for some people that can almost be a hindrance to creativity because sometimes you get you know even going back to you know the story about um the guy from the kinks like cutting cutting um slits in his speakers to get a fuzz sound that kind of thing it's like it's not technically correct what he was doing, but it it gave him the sound that you know everyone knows, you know, you really got me, but everyone knows that tone from that guitar and that's from just a busted up old amp with a load of holes cut in the speaker.
0: Yeah, it just it achieved the the destruction achieved the desired result, which yeah. is so often the case with musicians, it seems.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And that's just that's kind of been a thing for us, and then obviously once, <clears throat> once we kind of you know now doing a load of kind of classic fuzz circuits and and putting a load of knobs on things like we normally do, um, it just kind of led us to more interesting effects like building delays and and reverbs, um, and then eventually where we're aiming to go now is kind of more into the the digital kind of route, um, just because there's so many you know possibilities and almost end well almost endless possibilities for you know if you're when you're physically when you're coding effects um, on a PC, um, the, uh, the the possibilities for sounds are, are basically endless, and that's kind of where we're finding really exciting new sounds that we can create and kind of take us out of the area that a lot of other kind of smaller pedal companies are in. Um, we want to kind of branch out from that a little bit and try and you know, take a little bit of space from some of the big boys, which is where we're eventually aiming to go.
0: Very cool. Very cool. What are you, without revealing too much, like what are you kind of looking at for the DSP side of things?
1: <laughs> but it's, 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 I can talk about this one cause I've, I've announced it. Um, so we're, we're currently working on um, a pedal called the Junipero, um, which is a, a multi modulation pedal, um, eight effects in one, uh, Uh, kind of large pedal ranging from you know detune chorus flanger tremolo all that all that sort of stuff um uh, and it's not necessarily just about the effects but it's also um the kind of functionality in the pedal as well so being able to do things like midi and tap tempo um stereo Uh, stored presets on the pedal that kind of stuff that not a lot of other smaller companies are doing Um, which is kind of where like I mentioned trying to kind of branch out into what some of the larger companies are doing because I think that's eventually where the market is now kind of demanding those sorts of things you mean you see so many pedal boards I mean you're probably on a lot of the groups on Facebook like I am where you know almost every other board is Got some kind of fancy switcher like the ESA or the Gig Rig or or something like that, where people are demanding presets out of pedals, um, which is where we're that now trying to kind of fill that demand as it gets greater.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something that I I I know people want and they they say they want. I don't know personally, and I'm not uh, you know my my scope of musicians that I play with is a little bit limited, but I don't actually know anybody who. Uses a lot of presets. They kind of like everyone see still is reaching down and tweaking their knobs, which I guess we're not playing shows. So maybe that would be less the case if if we were. But um, it seems like there's there's certain things. And uh, and I run into this all the time where we are debating on feature sets to include or not include. And it's like sometimes we end up including them just because we think people will say they want them. Not necessarily because we think they're particularly useful. And I'm not saying presets are like that, but I'm saying, do you find that sometimes people just want a feature to say they have a pedal with that feature?
1: I definitely think there's an an aspect of that, which is why we wanted to rather than just, you know, make a pedal that had, um, you know, so it's it's effectively just, it's eight pedals in one and you can have MIDI and you can have your 128 presets. What we kind of wanted to do is find that middle ground. So, with the Junipero, what we're doing is including five presets on board that are easily you can easily just switch through, you know, with a with a tap of a foot switch. So it kind of if there's people there that find MIDI daunting or too complicated, then they can just basically just press and store and then flick through five presets. So, you know, you can just effectively just flick through, you know, five stored modulation sounds. Um so it was kind of like you said, not not trying to overwhelm people with the options available and also not make things unnecessarily complicated for people that don't really want or need it to be that complicated because I'm, I'm aware and I know like I probably like you do I'm I know a lot of guitarists that the second that anything involves screens or hidden menus or you know tap this hold this foot switch down while you turn this knob that it all becomes way too confusing um and not particularly practical for a live show um, if something you know, if they need to tweak a preset on the fly, what you want them to be able to do is do that as if they were just messing with a with a regular pedal. Um, so that's something we've been conscious of while we've been developing and getting that ready is making it easy for for people that aren't necessarily that technically gifted, <laughs> to put it diplomatically.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I, I can kind of see myself in that court category to some degree. I'm like, I, I've never. Personally, I've, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of pedals and I play with a lot of effects and I, I, I've never really messed with MIDI every time I think that I want to, I end up going, ah, no, no, I'm okay. Like that's, this just seems like a deep, dark rabbit hole. Is it actually a lot, a lot easier to understand than what maybe the layperson like me is thinking that it is? Yeah.
1: I mean, from a development um, standpoint, I've got um, a guy helping me kind of. Set all that kind of stuff up. So with the Juniper, I am doing all the audio side of things, um, and then I've got Gaia helping me do the kind of control side of stuff um, for that. Um, it's once you kind of get your head around it, it really isn't as daunting as it would seem. Especially with a lot of the switches, it really comes down to when you are using MIDI. It really comes down to how good the switcher is and how intuitive that is to use. Um, if it, you know, to, if you can store presets and stuff from the, from the switcher. Whilst it's plugged into the pedal, that's how it, how easy it is to do with the switcher. is it, It's more dependent on that than the than the pedal itself, because um, the the pedal is basically just just putting out, just sending out, the, you know, the MIDI out. Um, it's how the switcher interprets that and how it lets you store those presets. That's the the main factor in how easy it is for the user to put together.
0: Interesting. So the the pedal just kind of has to accept some basic in- input and output signals to know what to do and it's really down to how the switcher was designed that kind of what I was gathering too. But yeah, yeah then again I'm always a little bit in- intimidated I really thought I was gonna buy an es8 I was like this is the answer to all of my problems <laughs> and then uh, my friend Leon uh, from Pelican works got one and uh, he brought it to a band practice thing and I was like that never mind that looks like scary and stuff so I guess I'll stick with stick with what I know like a good old codger
1: yeah I mean, <laughs> I, mean I mean yeah I mean truth be told before I started um, working on this project I knew next to nothing about MIDI as well um it was more just when we were working on when i when I pitched to the guy um who's helping me out with the control side um about you know implementing you know tap and stored presets he basically said oh will it be dead easy to just stick a midi jack on the back and let people Run it into the switches for you know for the for more presets if you want And i was like yeah sure let's just do it if it's easy enough to implement the hard work's already been done for storing the presets on the pedal itself um if you want to just you know if, it, if all it's going to do is mean i have to put in it we have to put an extra jack on the board for people to plug the switches into then then let's just do it
0: so what is the difference between the pedals that have just the quarter-inch MIDI input and then the ones that have the full MIDI plug. What's what's going so, on there?
1: <clears throat> so the, the MIDI... I don't know the full story of this, but from what I gather is that it doesn't... With the the traditional MIDI pin, which I think is five pins, it's not actually using all of those pins. Um, all you need is a TRS jack like you would for a, an expression pedal. Um, you only right. need those... those um those connections so a lot of the times when you when there's just a quarter inch jack on the back which is what we're going to be doing what it has to do is um it has to basically have the quarter inch jack on one end and the and the midi jack on on the other end so you can plug that into the switcher um and sometimes there needs to be um a box in between because different um manufacturers have the tip and the ring and the sleeve set up differently. So I think chase bliss is different to, um, uh, source audio and then they're different to Strymon. So it all gets slightly complicated again, because there's not really any standards for how those MIDI connections, um, are kind of configured.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. So, okay, I got you. So, so the, everyone's got theirs wired up to accept the signal a little bit differently. And therefore it, am I understanding it correctly? It goes to the five pin plug and then it might be in a different spot on that five pin plug. So you kind of have to convert it. Yeah. Faves box or whatever.
1: Yeah. So I've got a little, um, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a little, um, Empress MIDI box. I think it's called, it's like a, just a tiny little thing. And that basically when you crack the back off, um, there's a circuit board inside where you can basically bridge some of the different pads depending on what brand of pedal you're plugging it into. Um, so again, oh, yeah. it's another complication why I understand why people might might shy away from it um, because it's not, it might not necessarily be the case that you can just buy a pedal, shove a jack in the back and the midi is going to work perfectly. It might be the case that you need to do a little bit of groundwork to get it work- to even get it working in the first place, let alone then worrying about coding presets, like saving presets.
0: Interesting. That's very interesting. I feel like the, all the big boys need to get together and be like, "Hey, all right, this is how we're gonna do this. Let's I, let's stop this I, from being a problem." I
1: know it, it seems like absolute madness, especially because I mean, like we did it with. I mean, Boss did it with power supplies. I mean, everyone's using nine volt center negative power supplies now um and that as far as i'm aware stemmed from from boss i mean it's known as the boss style powered power jack isn't it so uh, yeah I, I, lord knows why we can't all just agree on having one um one system but well, here we are i guess
0: <laughs> well that's kind of uh it's interesting i i was talking with jack from mr black about this on one of the features that i really like on his pedals that that uh, we kind of went round and round about like I talked to him pretty regularly and he, him and his crew figured out for expression control, the easiest and best way to implement it. in, in my opinion was how they did it. It's like trying to figure out what knobs are expression controlled. All you do for them is you just the ones you want expression controlled, you just turn them all the way up. Yeah. And that's, that's expression. I'm like, why is, why is that not what everyone does? That's what everyone should do, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, and <laughs> I, I, I guess it, de- I guess it depends how sophisticated the, um, the people they've got are working and their kind of knowledge of how to do things. Because there, I mean, there are awkward ways of like in our some of our, in our older pedals, the, you know, the jack. We basically have to have every, every um, so on our tape deck and Exosphere, for example, our reverb and delay. They're kind of rudimentary ways of doing it. In that when you Plug the um, when you plug the expression jack into the expression in on the back, it basically lifts the connections for the pot, so it basically removes that pot from the circuit and replaces it with the expression pedal itself, Um, which is fine when you've only got you know one or you know if you've only got see basically you then need one jack per control per per parameter. which, you know, okay. it's fine if there's only one or two. So with a delay, you might want feedback and time, for example, but then you need two expression jacks, for one for feedback, one for time. With the way they've done it, um, it means you can basically, you know, you could have a pedal with 20 knobs, and if you turn them all, if you turn them all fully clockwise, <laughs> you'd, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Then you could, yeah. yeah, you could control all of them. Um, and that's, again, something that we're going to have something similar in the Junipero. Um, for being able to control, uh, the, there's, there's six pots. So three parameter controls for the effects, um, mix tone and level. Um, and all of those will be, um, expression assignable per preset as well. So again, it's something we're, we're considering and working on and have factored into some of the new stuff that we're working through.
0: That'll be cool. I'm very excited to see this. I I'd, I'd kind of missed the announcement, so it's nice to get all filled in on the, uh, the new, new stuff basically
1: yeah i mean it's, it's that's like kind of one of the things and then eventually you know we can once we've kind of got this um nailed and ready to go we can start you know rolling out reverbs and delays and other bits and pieces like that so we're we're like we're incredibly excited for kind of the future of the kind of new pedals that we can bring out i mean we'll still probably bring out you know fuzzes and distortions and stuff like that because they're kind of bread and butter pedals that everyone buys and everyone needs and they're, they're fun to work on and they're fairly simple to work on and they're fairly easy to, by comparison, they're fairly easy to work up um, a new idea. You know, it might be a case that, you know, the R&D might be, you know, 5 to 10% compared to what it might be to do something like the Junipero, if, if that, to be honest. Um, so we'll still work on on circuits like that. Um, it's just that it might be a little bit more even far between going forward
0: yeah once you start kind of chasing the things in the sky it's hard to come back down to the ground sometimes <laughs> yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: just random question and it uh and I'm I'm actually quite enjoying it are there birds over where you're at right now am i hearing birds and or you, is that something else so nice?
1: i if you can um i didn't realize they were that loud um so i am in my workshop which is at the end of my garden um, uh, so yeah, you may very well be hearing birds. They may just be flying back from, uh, from wherever they were because the weather is getting slightly better. So yeah, apologies if that's, that's really not- loud. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, not, it's not that loud on my end. I just kept going, I think I hear birds and it's actually really enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so-
1: <laughs> yeah, you may I think you may well be actually. Yeah, I can't unfortunately with my headphones on, I can't hear them. But uh yeah, I think that very well may be what you are hearing from coming from outside, they're probably on the roof.
0: I'm picturing this like the the most relaxing workshop ever in like a little British village in Essex and there's birds quitting about in the <laughs> green grass everywhere. And I, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what I'm picturing.
1: Unfortunately, it's not, um, it's not that picturesque, but um, it's, it's not far off. It, it's fairly close. We live in a, in a, a fairly kind of standard suburban town. Um, but yeah, no, it's lovely. We, we had the workshop put in um, last year um, up until then I was working from a, the converted kind of garage at the front of the house and uh, it became very apparent that i'd quickly outgrown that because we were basically i was building the pedals and recording demos and doing everything in in one space whereas now with the workshop um we have it kind of split in two so i've got a larger area for doing recording and demos and having people come round and try stuff out and then there's a smaller kind of section where all the mess happens where i'm cutting resistor legs and drilling enclosures and making all that nasty noise and mess. So that kind of, that kind of stays behind locked doors. Whereas before it was all just kind of in, in one area. So it's, it's nice to be able to separate those two things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I understand that for sure. Like a lot of people have asked like what my favorite piece of gear that I own is. And it's 100%. It's like the shed that I require <laughs> Like it's, <laughs> I'm like, it's changed the whole game. It's like, I I used to be, you know, kind of in just this one room in the the house and, you know, you can only turn up so loud and that, and by that, I mean, not at all. Yeah. And uh, now that I'm separate, I'm like, I can, I'm like this is great I can play almost whenever I want. <laughs>
1: yes <It's> fantastic. <laughs> yeah so we 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 live in a in a mid-terrace house we've got we've got people either side of us um and that was a, a slight concern um it was a constant battle when we were filming demos last year because it was like do I do I turn up loud enough so that I can get the recording to sound half decent or do I turn it down and risk the sound that the the acoustic sound of my guitar is going to catch the microphone, um, in all, in all the demos, which is what happened the first time around and I had to re record it at a slightly louder volume, um, which was an absolute pain. Um, but we've been, we've been quite lucky. Um, cause I, I was, I was recording some bits and pieces the other day, um, for the pedal that I'm uh, doing with Raygun effects another Essex based company. Um, and I was I was recording the demo out here in the shed, and it was it was quite loud. Um, but luckily, we've had some new neighbours move in, and they said, "Oh, was that you playing the other day?" And I was like, oh, "I'm terribly sorry if it was too loud." And they were like, "No, we loved it. It's great. It's like we've moved in and we've got our own kind of like personal concert." So I, I thought, "Oh, great! I've kind of hit the jackpot here. We've got neighbours that don't mind noise."
0: Oh, that's fantastic!
1: Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it was lucky. The um, the
0: I had to. Uh... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say
1: the other, the previous neighbors we had weren't weren't so forgiving.
0: Yeah, I am pretty lucky with my neighbors too. But all that said, the I have one house that's very close to my studio, and so I did. I I basically I I soundproofed it as as much as I could afford to. Once I started digging into that rabbit hole of sound isolation, I discovered that basically it takes a lot of materials. Uh, and a lot of money to do it right, and so I just did it as best as my wallet would allow. And I, I asked them uh, over the years, and they were like, "We didn't even know that's what that was—was was a music room." So I guess job well done. Yeah, I mean, um, yes. Yeah, so when, when we were yeah. when we were putting when we were putting the workshop together, um, so basically
1: the the people we we bought it from they they built the um, the framework if you like, and then we did everything on the ins, in the on, the on the inside, so all the electrics and all the dry lining and stuff. But yeah, we we spent. A, a fair amount of money trying to stuff the walls with insulation, um, both for the um, harsh British winters um, and also for some kind of sound dampening. And it seems to be doing a fairly decent job. Um, the only issue is um, I do have to keep the doors closed, which was difficult over the weekend because I have no aircon in here yet. And uh, it was uh, I was <laughs> oh. yes when I when I was recording the demo, I I, was, I finished and I was sweating buckets, and I looked up at the little thermostat i've got in here and it was like 32 and a half degrees celsius as well so absolutely roasting
0: i was gonna say so it was freezing out <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, d- I don't know what that converts to in fahrenheit i i, I, I don't understand that scale
0: <laughs> <laughs> i d- i don't either no one does no one knows what america's doing over here we're just floundering about with random old british uh, yeah, systems I know.
1: What's, eight in inches? what's that
0: who knows, it's King's King's <laughs> toes or whatever. I'm not sure. So I want to take a, a few steps back uh, before you know, before the pedal company and before all mm-hmm. that. When you first started playing music, yep. what kind of music were you into?
1: Um, so I th- if I recall, the album that got me into wanting to play the guitar was. Uh, so, so it's a kind of a funny story, really, because it was when it was 2005, so I would have been 12-ish, um, and it was when uh, Green Day's American Idiot came out. It's my—I was it starting my first year of high school, um, so I was very much an angsty teenager, um, and uh, I remember hearing American Idiot, uh, the sing when the single came out for the first time, and it just being so like loud and aggressive um well comparatively i mean i know there's a lot more aggressive music out there but for, you know for me as a 12 year old it was um that had been you know i've grown up on listening to just whatever was in the the charts like pop music and stuff so hearing hearing that i think it was probably on top of the pops um that was kind of the album that made me think yeah i want to just get a guitar and just you know any amp i could and just turn the distortion up You you know, like, full. I think my first pedal that I bought was a some Behringer Ultra metal, it was like bright pink. And I just remember turning all the knobs up all the way and just kind of slamming through power chords when I used to learn i you was know, just like Green Day riffs or, or whatever. Um, and then that year, um, I asked for it for a Christmas present, and my mum bought me uh, the wrong album, she bought me the wrong Green Day album, she bought me, um. Oh. <laughs> she bought me uh, International Super Hits It's like a compilation album um, Yeah, yeah she, she bought me that instead Which kind of turned me on to a lot of the like, older stuff So I was listening to like Basket Case And When I Come Around And all those kind of classic Green Day songs That at the time I wasn't overly familiar with um, But I just remember listening to that album On repeat you know, Just on my um, Portable CD player because those were still a thing then um and yeah i just remember going on you know family holidays and stuff like that and i'd just be sitting in the back of the car just wearing that cd out completely i must have listened to it god two or three hundred times easy
0: yeah i had the same album it's funny to to hear because we're we're not that far different in age but the our green day experiences are extremely similar we just have to switch albums around like my green day album introduction was like nimrod oh, okay yeah. so it was yes yeah, so it was like same experience basically except just a different yeah, album just because i'm a couple just, of albums like four. five five years old yeah
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it was yeah It was bands like that and then obviously over here before they started making strange music the um the arctic monkeys their first album came out that year as well um which is, which is great because it was very, not only was it kind of like it just sounded like a load of teenagers in a garage recording, it was also very, very British in like accent and the things they were talking about and the sense of humour. Um, so that kind of appealed to me as well as a, as a teenager. So that was like another album that I must have worn out hundreds of times, um, which, are, yeah, I, rem- I have very fond memories of that. I, I regularly go back to it and, and listen to it from, from start to finish
0: Were there has your taste changed as you've gotten older are you still kind of into that same stuff
1: I, I, there's definitely an element of like nostalgia and I still listen to a lot of that stuff so I'm still I still you know I still love Nirvana and Green Day and you know early uh, Arctic Monkeys and the first Foo Fighters record as well that's an insane record that I absolutely love um, but I think as I've gotten older I, it, it sounds cliche but i kind of listen to a little bit of everything so I'm, I'm really into like classic like kind of hip-hop stuff um like jurassic five and a tribe called quest um if i'm doing if i'm just doing soldering you know if i'm just sitting there cranking out 20 30 pedals i'll normally put on um, instrumental music there's, there's a load of stuff on spotify that's like lo-fi hip-hop kind of jazzy stuff that I quite like listening to because it doesn't really require any concentration. It just, it's just quite nice background music. Um, but then I really like, you know, shoegaze and ambient post-rock stuff as well. So it really is kind of a, a mixed bag. I'll just, I, I don't, I, I try not to focus too much on, I get, like get hung up on genres. I just kind of listen to what I like, whether it's from some obscure local band that has, you know, barely any following or if it's a top 40 artist, I'll kind of, I'll just listen to anything if I like it.
0: Yeah, I've kind of gotten over the uh, the guilty pleasure thing. Yeah, where that used to be a, like a thing because you know, like I'm I came up the the punk rock kid. So you got is it legit? <laughs> you know, is it real? Like, like is it real punk rock? And then uh, as I got older, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing like ever. I'm like, I want to listen. If I want to listen to Lady Gaga, I'm gonna listen to Lady Gaga. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if I want to listen, yeah, something you know, yeah, yeah, converge or. Thing, i'll listen yeah. to converge like it yeah, I'm, I'm
1: i'm partial to a little bit of michael bolton myself i don't mind a bit of that every now and then
0: I <laughs> yeah. i get down on some michael bolton i wear my sunglasses at night by uh by mr Hart is one of my favorite songs of all time so you know yeah. whatever no shame in my yeah, game yeah game. exactly
1: oh yeah like you said um i'm i'm over it i'm uh I've, i have no qualms about trying to pretend to be something i'm not if it's uh if I like it, I'll listen to it.
0: For sure, for sure. So, what's the what's the music scene like in your area? What are you? Is there a lot of bands come through? Do you have to travel? How's, how's that? It's look it's you? not too
1: bad. Um, obviously not being being about mm, and forty five minutes to an hour outside of London, um, by train, um, it's fairly easy to get to. Um, which is where a lot of the a lot of that scene is there's a few places around here there's a great place um uh, i live near a town called south end um uh, longest pleasure pier on the world just as a fun fact um it's not that interesting but um <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> uh, uh, they've got a great little venue called chinneries um that i used to go down to um quite regularly as a teenager um i try and get out as as much as i can still um but obviously with work and children um it becomes a bit more of a of a hassle trying to organize a night off to go and see a band but um yeah there's there's a few good places around i was i was involved in that kind of scene a little bit when i was in my late teens early 20s so like yeah six five six years ago um, I was in a little band with a couple of guys that were a few years younger than me, um, and it unfortunately just kind of fell apart because when when they kind of said, "Oh, we're going to go off to university now," I was already, I was part, I was past that age, and I was already working. Um, so they just kind of kind of split apart then, um, and that's kind of really when I started getting involved in in doing the pedal stuff. So you know, working full time as well as trying to run as well as trying to run this um just kind of didn't leave me enough time to be involved with that anymore but there are some there are some great um bands around um as i mentioned and ray gun effects that we're working with he's in a he's the lead singer of a band called high low that um are, are local to us they're they're south end based and um they're probably easily one of my top five bands um of all time and that's up there with like I said Nirvana and Green Day and bands like that. So yeah it's been, oh, really? yeah, been really? they're they're a really, really good band. Um and um I'd know the the guys from it quite well. Um it's been it's it's been really nice to just find a find a band that you like that you also know like I'm friends with them all on Facebook. It's really strange. Like a band that you really love <laughs> um knowing them and like oh like oh he's gone down to you know, he's just doing some, like, he's gone out for dinner with his family because he posted about it on Facebook. It's strange knowing those things about a band that you really like. It's just weird.
0: That is that is really interesting. And I've I've kind of ran into some of that myself. And I think that's going to be a little more common in this day and age and moving forward of people being more connected with artists they really like, whether they're, you know, actual, like, pals with them the way you are. Or just in general, I feel like uh, people are going to have a deeper connection to to bands and to artists that they're really into, and it's one of the like the actual positives about social media, which is nice because there's a lot of negatives to it. So it's nice that there are positives.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, uh, yeah, I I can only hope that 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 that, that kind of connection does become stronger and and grow between fans and and the bands because it's 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 really nice there's there's a lot of up and coming you know bands that are around our area that are really trying to make a go of it and I know all too well how how hard it is to make any kind of living out of doing music so um it's yeah I think building that personal connection is quite important for them to to grow a strong fan base rather than just you know just putting on shows um i think it's quite an important thing for them to be doing
0: i think it's equally important for guys like you uh doing i think it's really important for for companies to start taking a look at that and recognizing that people want to know you know especially at the level that that we are used to seeing they want to know kind of what the guy is about like they're buying from the person as much as they are buying from a brand or a company and so it's why i think i think things like this are interesting and Just the way people kind of portray themselves. I mean, you don't have to like put yourself out there, out there to be on what you're comfortable. But I think it is. It. I know if I really like a person behind a brand, I'm I'm more likely to buy something from them. It's. I think most people are that way.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And it's been something that I. It's been somewhat of a steep learning curve for me in the sense that I'm my i'm massively introverted by by nature um and incredibly shy um and that was something that this is weirdly as a, as a kind of personal aside it's running Xander has helped me overcome a lot of those things because i've been put in situations where it's kind of fight or flight like we're doing going to the shows that we do and the expos and doing podcasts and being recorded on video for you know other people's YouTube channels and stuff like that, it's it's really helped me kind of realise that wait uh, you know I, I can string a sentence together, I can speak about the products that I make and the products that I sell, um, and I'm not I, I'm not always going to come across like I'm a complete idiot, which was my main fear of just making a fool of myself. But so that but running Xander has really kind of helped me kind of ease into being a little bit more relaxed around doing things that I would have previously been scared to death of.
0: Well, one good thing about you coming on this show is that you're almost assuredly not going to be the one who sounds like an idiot. That is a really good (laughs) thing for reciting to do this particular podcast. So thank you.
1: (laughs) That's no problem.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, I I, I was going to say, I, I, I have, I'm, I'm definitely an extrovert, which obviously you can probably tell, but even, even myself, I have reservations about what I put out there when I put it out there and you know how it's portrayed. And one thing I've, I've learned is that while we think it's, you know, this big thing and we're, it's really uncomfortable in some ways at the end of the day, most people are just into it. It's. There's trolls. There's always going to be trolls. You can't do anything about that. But by and large, most people are like, well, he's giving it a go. That's pretty cool. It's cool that he's trying, you know, and and some people it resonates with.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of the reaction I've seen from a, a lot of people is that, that, that fear of even if you do make a mistake or say something, you know, make a joke that might go down in poor taste, which I've definitely done before um, on... <laughs> On a recording, um, people just generally don't. People don't care, for the most part. People don't. Yeah, like you said, it's nothing. It, 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 it in your head, it's this massive thing that's going to be. Oh, it's, it's going to be the end of me. It's going to ruin me and everything that I've worked for. But it, it doesn't. People just half the time, people don't even notice. And it's one of those things that you're just worried about in your own head.
0: Yeah, I did. I did, and I. I almost, sometimes I wonder if I should have left it in, but a few episodes. Well several episodes ago i had chris benson from benson amps on again and i was at his shop and i made a really uncomfortable oj simpson reference and I, I i struggled with it for a long time before to finally deciding to cut it out and now i kind of wish right. i would have i would have left it in just so people know how stupid i really am but it's a uh, he he gave me the eye while we were recording, and I made this 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 random joke, and he was like, he was like, after we were done, he was like, Are "You gonna leave that in?" I'm like, "I think so," and I kept listening back to it, going, "Nah, I can't leave that in," and now I'm like, "I should have left it in," but whatever. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, I think I think I, I made a yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it 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 didn't it didn't resonate as well. I think maybe coming from an area of very dry British humor, it didn't resonate as well with the people I was speaking to. (laughs) Um, And it it kind of fell a little bit flat. Um, But I've I've moved on. I've I've picked up. I've forgiven myself for it.
0: (laughs) As you should, as you should. And one thing that I I have to say too, one of the big criticisms I get about this podcast is that my jokes aren't funny. And uh, the thing is, is... I'm not a comedian and no, my jokes are not funny. So I apologize to everyone who thought they were tuning into a a comedy podcast, but that's just simply not what's going on here. It's uh, it's just some guy who is so nerdy that he has to talk to other nerds about his nerdy thing that he likes. That's, that's really what we're, what we're doing right now.
1: Yeah, that's fine. I I, I don't
0: know why people would expect you to be anything more. I I think the bar's been I honestly think the bar's been raised on podcasting quite a bit in the last few years. You know, I've been doing it for a, a long time at this point, but the quality of podcasts and I try to I try to hold myself to this standard, but I'm like I said, just kind of a dude. Uh the the quality of podcasts in general has gone way way up in the last few years and so I think I'm just being held to a, a higher standard than I once was.
1: Yeah, there is. There are some. There are some great guys out there. I mean, I, I try and listen to as as much as I can, like gear related or or not. Um, yeah, and like you said, there's so many great people doing some. There's some annoyingly talented people in the world, um, and it makes me both uh, equally proud and very bitter that I'm not one of those people.
0: <laughs> yes, I know that feeling. <laughs> Who are some of your favorite gear? You know, podcasts, YouTube, whatever media gear, media people. Who are some of your favorites? So I
1: I try and watch as it's mainly this. It's probably just the the obvious ones. Um, so I Andertons were one of the big um start. You know, the the one of the big starts for for me. Um, watching watching gear. Um, that kind of stemmed even before I, even when I was just a guitar player and wasn't making any pedals. Um, that pedal show I love. Um. Uh, Dan and Mick are, um, are great guys, and they've been kind enough to feature me in a pick and mix. Um, so, so I think it was last year or the year before. Um, so that, that was that was great. Um, Podcast-wise, I try and listen to uh, guitar nerds um, and uh, guitar knobs as well. Uh, Todd over in uh, Ohio? Yeah, I think yeah. that's where they are. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah um yeah they're, they're great guys then they've been kind enough to have me on there um uh so that yeah those, those guys are great um but then i've also got some um it's kind of self-serving but i i'm good friends with um uh jackson uh brooksby from Dipswitch demos um uh-huh. he yeah. uh runs, yeah um so i've my kind of history with jackson goes back kind of quite far in that i designed his logo for him um uh, and that's kind of how we, we kind of started our relationship, if you like. Is he was like, oh, can you offer me any advice on, on what I'm doing? It was when he was just starting out. Um, and I said, uh, yeah, everything's looking great. Um, but I could feel like you could maybe do with a bit more of like, a stronger like branding around what you were doing. And so I, I kind of, you know, pitched together a few logo ideas for him and worked on his branding and stuff like that. And then in return, he did a couple of demos for me and that kind of, started our uh, like relationship um, going forward. And then I've kind of, I'm getting him and a few other guys involved in, you know, doing user testing and stuff like that so they can come and try out pedals before they're released. So that's, that's been quite nice to kind of get in with other guys that are kind of as, as small as, as I am or, or was when we were first starting out. And we're kind of all, although we're in different areas, you know, I'm making pedals and he's reviewing pedals. We're kind of growing together and kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, which has been quite nice to be part of a, this little kind of community. And the gear community in general is are, pretty great. I mean, there are some there are some toxic communities out there online, um, but we don't seem to be one of them for the most part.
0: No, that's that's the best thing about all this. And I know it gets harped on on you know, half of the gear media out there, but it really is wonderful. And I think that's why you see so many people attracted to it, and a certain type of person that is attracted to it. Because generally, I mean, we all get along. There's very few and far between examples of that not happening. And so it's it's nice. It's really refreshing.
1: Yeah, because even with companies that, you know... So, for example, myself and other pedal companies, we are effectively direct competitors of one another. But there's no ill-feeling um, or, you know you know, malicious kind of behavior between anyone. It's all, it's all very friendly and yes, there's competition, but it's very friendly and it's all kind of done in a, in a nice way. Um, and the, the kind of the collaborations between companies Mm -hmm. as well, like there was, um, like land and farm did last year. Those guys, um, um, brought out a great, um, pedal. Um, and obviously that goes up to the, the big boys like JS, JHS with boss, um, and then now with myself and Reagan, um, which is like, yeah, it's just it's great to see companies kind of that are effectively technically competitors kind of just working together and, and like trying to boost each other up.
0: Well, yeah, and it goes really deep. It, it goes even down to like, oh, no, I ran out of jacks. Do you guys have any extra jacks that you can se- sell me? You know, like, you know, like that happens all the yeah, time. But-
1: yeah, no, I, I mean, I had, I've literally got an example of that the other day when I was with um, Steve from Raygun and we were um, looking at buying parts for the for the pedal for the joint pedal, um, and there were some parts that are in one of his circuits that I just didn't have, and he just like grabbed a handful and shoved them in a box and was like, there you go, just take them. But I don't don't worry about it. So, it's, so it was, yeah, it's just so I didn't have to worry about going out and buying those for the ones that I'm going to build. He just gave me just gave me a like, lot.
0: There you go. Yeah, that happens there again, all the time. That's a that's yeah. a constant thing in this business for sure. And I would I should say you keep mentioning Raygun and I'm going, I have a ray Gun. What do I have? I have the Super Fuzz Boy. That's what it is. Ah, the Game
1: Boy one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. That that um so that's kind of I should have maybe mentioned this at the start, is that Steve um from Raygun was kind of one of the reasons I started making pedals, um, because he is, like I said, he's in South end, which is about seven or eight miles down the road from where I am. Um, so I used to, I've, I found him, um, basically I found the band high low that I was talking about. And like I said, he's the lead singer. Um, and i got, I really like the sounds they were getting found out that he ran Reagan effects. So I, at one point or another, I've owned pretty much everything that he's made. Um, and I used to, because I only lived down the road, I wouldn't get them posted. I'd go and pick them up and we'd sit and chat about music and gear and all that kind of stuff for, for an hour or so. Um, and we kind of built that little, like, relationship. And then when I started making pedals, it was always like, oh, I wonder if I could, you know, eventually we might be able to do something together. And that has kind of now come to fruition. And it's, it's bizarre doing something with someone that but, has but been going a lot longer than you have and is comparatively much larger than you are and um, kind of give you the time of day to work on something together and be as excited about it as you are.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's amazing. Um, well, we're getting down to close to the hour mark and I've got a couple couple questions that I need to throw at you before we sign off here. Yeah, one exactly of them being, away. Yeah, one of them being, what is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, that is a toughie.
1: I... Would probably say I've not owned this. So I'll put that caveat in. Uh, it would be the Dimension. Uh, is it the DC two? I think it's called the the pink one with the four buttons.
0: Yep. Yeah, I believe that is the DC.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It would be that one. I absolutely love that Dimension effect. The idea of a chorus without a rate or a Almost yeah, so it's just like a fixed detune. I love that that kind of sound because um, you get that kind of wide space without there being that kind of seasick wobbliness from an like an LFO like you know running round and round and round. Um, so they would probably be the dimension.
0: All right, that was easy. I've, I've noticed that this that question I expect it to take a little more processing for people because there's a lot of boss pedals and a lot of really wonderful ones, and most I, people that I've I've asked it to have a pretty they're pretty right there with it they don't have to think about it too long you didn't either
1: so as, as you asked it i thought of oh course this is going to be hard to answer but as as you finished it i was like no i think i know exactly what it is i mean I, don't get me wrong i've got a massive soft spot for the ds2 um again probably maybe the third or fourth pedal that i owned because I, every teenager does because they want to sound like kurt cobain of course and just crank cranking it into like a 15 watt solid state Marshall and just annoying the hell out of your parents. Um, <laughs> so that, that was um that I've still got a, a soft spot for that. And it is, a, it is a great pedal. There's no doubt about it for the money as well.
0: Um But yeah, I think it would definitely still be the dimension. The dimension. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So what, uh, if anything, is there, I mean, we've already talked about a lot about what you have cooking and in the pipeline and all that, but is there anything else you'd like to say plug anybody you'd like to give a shout out to this is kind of your chance to uh, throw up a billboard so to speak oh God we're in the spotlight um okay I hmm, God what's
1: going on oh oh yes well the big one I might as well announce it um we have got a space at Nam 2020 winter, winter Nam in Anaheim oh nice. um, we are gonna we are going to be exhibiting uh, as on the stump box exhibit. I think they call it Stompbox. Yeah, stomp box Exhibit Stand. Um, so it'll be, I don't know who else is there yet, but on that stand, there'll be me and a bunch of other smaller companies, um, which, again, it seems like a surreal thing because them seemed like an absolute pipe dream when we first started out. So even to be there in in the smaller way, which we are, you know, sharing a stand with, you know, however other any small companies um, is just it absolutely in, incredible for us and um i really cannot i know i know we're still <laughs> i'm jumping the gun a bit because we're still like eight months out but um it's yeah it's just in, insane that we've managed to secure a spot at what i'm assuming is the myth you know what i know to be the biggest music exhibition in the world um so yeah it's um, amazing that we're going to be there and i'm very much looking forward to going
0: that's fantastic i'm looking forward to seeing you it's uh oh, are you going Oh yes, yeah. I, I've been going for four years, so this will be my fifth Nam coming up. Fifth winter. Date.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. But I've managed. I I've I managed to swing it um, because I promised the fiance that we would also go to Disneyland while we're there. So we're we're, we're there for ten nights, uh, and obviously I think four of them are Nam um, or four of the days are Nam, um, and then we're gonna do a couple of days in Disney and. All that other, you know, usual rubbish you do when you're out in Anaheim. Um, but yeah, it'll be my first time in California as well. So it'll, um, yeah, it'll be nice to nice to go out there and meet a lot of people that I otherwise wouldn't get a chance to meet because they're on the other side of the Atlantic.
0: Oh, this is going to be fantastic! Really excited to see you. That'll be that'll be fun. I'm, I'll, I know the Stompbox exhibit last year was phenomenal. So hopefully this year is just as good. I'm sure it will be.
1: Yeah, we're, we're hopefully going to be sharing a space with a lot of other really good companies, and hopefully by then we'll have you know the pedals that I've been mentioning that we're working on, like the Junipero and stuff. Hopefully that stuff will be well. It is not an if; it will be ready. Um, or also help me. Uh, yeah, it will definitely be ready. Uh, so so we'll be exhibiting some some new stuff, um, which which will you know again be nice for people to kind of see for the first time because it's not much of a better platform to launch a new product than them. So
0: That's a, uh, that's going to be really fun. So I, I do have one bit of advice for you or anyone else that is going to go to Anaheim and go to Disney and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I've done that many times through my life because it's obviously a lot easier for me to get to than it is for you. I just go south a few hours and I'm there mm-hmm. and, uh, basically what shocks me every time. And I always forget about this is, is yeah, it's expensive to get into the park and whatever. Everyone knows that you can look that up online. But what, what really gets me is the price on the food. Like everything, it's like, everything's like 30% more expensive than what I'm used to.
1: Yeah, we did. Um, we went out to Florida. So we, we've done that Disney. and uh, we did that a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, so it was already an expensive holiday just getting out there and paying for the tickets. Um, and then yeah, to then do, you know, whacked with however much it is for a, I don't know, a turkey leg or whatever it is they sell. And yeah, <laughs> was was insane. But uh, yeah, so that was lesson well learned. I think I will uh, take heed of that uh, for this time.
0: And also, since you're doing Nam, I don't know if they're offering it in right now. But if you if you check. You should be able to get a discount on your Disney stuff through Nam. So,
1: oh, uh, I didn't know tip. that. Yeah, I hot will... tip
0: for anyone anyone that's Namming and Disneying. I, I, they have offered oh. that in the past, like a ten percent discount or fifteen or whatever. Anything, anything oh. helps when we're talking about the Disney monster.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, uh, I will definitely look into that because yeah, if anything to save me a, a few dollars will uh, will be much appreciated. For sure. For sure.
0: All right, Alex, we have we have officially got there, but I have to ask you one more question. And I think okay. you, you might know what that is. But what kind of pizza do you like? Oh, God.
1: I am going to be one of those controversial people and says that he likes a Hawaiian pizza. Oh, geez. I don't know how that's going to go down. I'm <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> um, so
0: terrible. No, I'm, I'm yeah, so disappointed me- in you.
1: Uh, Yeah, give me ham and pineapple. Maybe even throw a few mushrooms on there. I'm I'm happy. Always thin. Never a deep dish. That stuff is disgusting. Always thin. Always thin and crispy.
0: All right. I like it. You're a man who knows what he wants, and he's not afraid to say it.
1: Yeah, I will. So, yeah. Yeah. Enjoy that, everyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's for what it's worth. It's about... I would say it's about fifty-fifty with this audience. So you're you're gonna you know you're gonna alienate somebody one way or another. So you you're yeah a- the
1: other half yeah the other half are going to be coming up with pitchforks when I get to Anaheim next year.
0: <laughs> it's like you should have stayed back home, whammy. <laughs> <blimey. laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a good time. I really enjoyed the talk.
1: Yeah, no, it was great. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, yes, we'll have to do it again sometime.
1: Yes, for sure, definitely.
0: Alright everybody, for Alex, this is Blake, and as always folks, good luck and good tones. Alright, there you have it, there's another episode in the can, and if you need more tone mobbery in your life, you need a little more of these conversations, guess what, there's more waiting for you. We've got I don't even know how many hours of conversation over on Patreon that is not available to the public. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And on top of it, some of those people get discounts at some of your favorite gear companies. Sometimes they get random things sent to them in the mail. Sometimes they get extra content. Actually, all the time they get extra content. Every week, there's extra episodes over there for their ears. And so if you go to patreon.com slash tone mob, you can see any of the options. If you pick $5, $5 is the level that you start getting all the extra episodes. So it's just $5 a month and you get several hours of additional content every month right into your player where you're listening to this right now. So if you just go over there and check that out, that would mean the world to me. Share this with anybody you might think is interested in it, your gear groups, your gear friends, wherever you hang out on the internet. Maybe you got co-workers, friend, family, whatever. The more people we can get, the more I can do and the more uh you can enjoy and listen and hang out and all that stuff. So Uh, Thank you so much. I know there's a ton of things you could be listening to right now, and you listened all the way to this point on this show, and that fact is not lost on me. So thank you very much, and if you ever need me for anything, reach out at info at at mob.com. All that good stuff. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, There's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring and he makes it simple and his customer service is top notch and I can't say enough good things about Gun Street as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about and the product is top notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.